0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Darren Shank about leading others as individuals with a collective goal in mind. Darren Shank, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited to have this conversation. You have a really interesting background. I have talked with other uh, collegiate coaches in the past. Um, You coach a sport that I love that I'm not any good at. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a great pastime and that is racquetball. So you, uh, I'll, I'll read your bio here in just a moment, but you have extensive experience both as a player and as a coach, uh, in the sport of racquetball, uh, on, on that side of things, but professionally, you're also involved, um, with, uh executive roles in organizations and sales and and leading teams of other sales people. So today we're going to be talking about, you know, and tapping into both your your veins of experience leading others as individuals with a collective goal in mind. And obviously that's something that is super, you know, applicable to team sports, but it's also super applicable when we're trying to navigate the complexities of organizations and being competitive as a business with a team of people uh, to accomplish a goal um, that we we all have. Uh, so it'll be a super fun conversation to dive into together. Yeah. As we get started, I wanted to share Darren's bio with everybody. As a former professional racquetball player, Darren Shank spent three years in the top 20 in the world on the international racquetball tour. Now as a coach, he is in his 14th season as head coach of the ASU racquetball team with a women's national championship and two-time collegiate coach of the year awards to his credit, as well as producing over three dozen collegiate All-Americans. And let me just say that is incredible. Um congratulations on all that success. Thank you. In his day job, he is the Vice President of Sales Marketing at Triage Now, a medical call center for workplace injuries. They work with companies like General Mills, Goodyear, Tire and Rubber, American Red Cross, UCLA, Liberty Mutual, and many more. Outside of his role, As VP of sales, he is a recruiting guest lecturer at the business colleges at ASU and NAU, and within the local business community, offering sales coaching and general life optimization coaching. Uh, All super fascinating. Uh, I I really look forward to tapping into your your various veins of expertise and experience. Um, Before we really dive on into the conversation, uh, would you mind, I'm just really curious as someone who just on the periphery likes to play racquetball casually uh, as, a, as a fun uh, pastime, how did you get into that uh, both as a player and a coach? And then we can move more into talking about this within the context of organizations.
1: Sure. So this is funny, but it's, it is true. Uh, I thought it would be a great way to meet girls. <laughs> so as a 16-year-old kid, I tried to make the wrestling team at my high school. Um, I thought that was the way that I was going to get to college. My dad was a great wrestler in high school and, and college and beyond, and I was sort of groomed for that. Unfortunately, my freshman year in high school, I was wrestling off for position on the team, got a, had a neck injury, and that was kind of the end of my or sorry the, my wrestling career, which is how I ended up becoming a racquetball player. Even though wrestling is a technically a team sport, it is very individualized. And I was drawn to sports like that, having played the Little League baseball and just didn't like the idea that my uh, wins and losses sat on someone else's shoulders. And to some degree that they're, you know, the same was true for them of me. Being a pitcher in particular, you know, I I literally held the ball in my hand and sometimes the game was won and lost by what I did. And as a kid, you know, we all like things to be fun, but there's a lot of pressure there. and, And so being an in- going after individual sports meant that it was me that was benefiting or or losing when things went well or not went well. And therefore I, I kind of thought that was a better fit. So I did meet a bunch of girls playing racquetball because right next to the high school was racquetball courts and the girl, there would be girls that would hang out and go play. And unlike tennis, you can play racquetball by yourself. You can practice an awful lot of the the aspects of the sport on your own and then when you get to add somebody into play against, then that, that that works very well also. But as I got into it, I got a very early exposure to professional racquetball. The first event I ever went to was a pro racquetball tournament, and I was just stunned at the athleticism. Uh, all the guys were wearing these cool warm-up suits, and they traveled around the country playing racquetball for a living. I thought, man, sign me up! This is going to be great. And I, it took a little while, but eventually I got to the pro tour level and I, on, on that journey, I realized that I was not going to make, you know, tennis player money as a racquetball player, but it was something I was really, really serious about pursuing. And so I threw myself into it and at age 24, I turned pro and I played a couple of seasons where I picked and chose the events that I went to. And then the last five years of my career, I played every, every event on the pro tour and made it into the top 20 in the world.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And then from that professional um, career as as a professional racquetball player, then how did you end up as the head coach at ASU?
1: So a guy who's now a good friend of mine who was on the ASU racquetball team at the time, uh, they had a club, but they didn't really have a coach. They had a president who organized the group, but he wasn't a, a real good player. So he didn't have a lot of contribution in terms of developing other players. So He casually said, hey, could you, you know, would sometime would you come down and and do like an hour clinic for the team? I think there's some players that would really benefit from that. I said, sure, that sounds like fun. You know, one hour of my time, big deal. Well, here we are 14 years later, and uh, it's about a 12-hour commitment a week during the school year, and we travel annually to the intercollegiate championships, and it has been the most personally rewarding thing that I've ever done. Um, I still have some amazing relationships with a lot of the kids that were on the teams. I have been to a couple of weddings. Uh, You know, i still, am kind of a mentor for some of, some of the guys and girls that were on the team. Some of them as long as far back as, you know, 15 years ago. So it's just been something I fell in love with and I'm a volunteer in that capacity. I don't get paid by the university to do it. So the rewards that I think that reflects how much the personal reward is there because there, there's no monetary benefit whatsoever. It actually cost me money to do that job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's incredible. I mean, 12 plus hours a week, plus all the travel um, for free. Uh, it must be a passion. <laughs> and to Fair be able enough. to impact the the lives of all the um, students that you coach. That's, that's tremendous. Well, very good. And I I was just going to say, you know, I've I've referred a couple times, like I casually, you know, just as a pastime play racquetball, I look super goofy in my getup, and I'm not any good. Um, But it is a great sport. I'm better at tennis. (laughs) Um, Tennis is also fun. Um, But, you know, it's it's a wonderful sport. And uh, I love Uh, any of those sports like racquetball, um, uh, tennis, uh, I'm now I'm just blinking um, on the pickleball, pickleball. Thank you. Uh, Pickleball. All these are are great sports.
1: I'm, I'm not, I have not made the transition to pickleball yet. My standing (laughs) joke, even though it's not really true, but it's just how I look at it is when I'm no longer considering myself an athlete, I'll start playing pickleball. (laughs) Now that's just my crappy attitude towards pickleball because it's pulling a lot of players out of racquetball and into that Mm. sport. It is one of the fastest growing sports in the, in the country right now. So part of it is just my sour grapes of how many people have either also started playing that and diminished their racquetball time or just left racquetball altogether, especially over the last year with COVID, you know, pickleball tournaments or events are outdoors Racquetball, we're all inside in the same club. That went away for over a year. So that really pushed a lot of people into pickleball as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, excellent. And and as you mentioned, from the, the sports side of things, there's a lot of lessons to be learned about coaching. Um, I, I have also done uh, team sports. I've done individual sports. But even in individual sports, you're part of a team. Uh, my individual performance impacts the rest of the right. team and, and the overall um team's you know, uh, performance in the meet or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so lots of lessons to be learned. Now let's transition now and talk a little bit more about in your professional role in, as an executive in sales and, and working with, with your sales teams, how some of these lessons have translated uh, over into that kind of aspect of your life. What, what do you see as, as the difference, you know, between that, the tension between individual focus versus collective effort, yeah. um, towards a shared goal.
1: It, that is a tricky dynamic. And, and, and that's one of the things I love about that. I loved about coaching and that I love about my, my day job role. I, ha- I have a very large group of people who are resellers for my service, my company service, but they're, I'm not technically their, their national sales manager, right? I'm, I'm an, a liaison. I'm an advisor. Uh, sometimes I act as a closer. They'll start the process and they'll bring me in as the expert on my company services. And so that makes it tricky to, to really get things honed in on having a true one-on-one relationship with somebody, getting inside their head and figuring out, okay, th- this person needs a kick in the butt. This person needs a pat on the back more often than others do. And, and help them in the right fashion. The end goal is to increase business, right? Um, if, as a reseller of our service, a lot of them are insurance brokers and producers and, and people like that. So it's my company's service is an additional benefit they can provide to their clients that maybe some of the other uh, companies do not. So it's, sometimes it's, it's, the, it's the key piece to the puzzle of winning new business. Sometimes it's a nice add-on so all of that has to be factored in every time, and that delicious uncertainty, I guess, is one way to put it, is what I find challenging and exciting about that.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, and that kind of a model, I, I think, that's becoming more and more common in businesses these days. Um, and, and so that's that's intriguing to me. I think more and more organizations are trying to to figure out how to leverage human capital in a way that's also flexible for the organization um, where you're not bearing a lot of the labor um, direct labor costs associated with the people that you're working with and and hence the rise of the gig economy the rise of distributed workforces and and the type of model that you were just describing I think is is another um, uh, out, outlay of of that kind of an approach and just searching for flexibility um, so talk a little bit about how you know when you have this, this, these people scattered all over the place that you're trying to help close deals, and you're trying to help stay focused on goals, and trying to help, you know, them be successful, but also help your organization accomplish what it's, you know, going for, and trying to, to, to meet its goals. How, how do you manage that, and what are some of the, 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 the tips and tricks that you've used to, to navigate that tension?
1: Uh, good question. So I, I have a twofold approach. So the first part is I do exactly the same presentation to almost every prospective client, regardless of the size of that, the business is the industry that they're in. Uh, it really is. I've got it dialed down to where I do a presentation that covers all of the basic questions, makes it very clear what the benefits of this program would be and how positive the ROI can be for a, for certain clients. And then, so that, that becomes, sort of on autopilot I do the same presentation as if if I'm doing a direct sales presentation to somebody that's going to come right to my company or it's on behalf of one of my partners that I'm trying to help them land business which will also increase the number of calls that we get per month so once I figured out how to make that a really streamlined approach it allowed me to spend a lot more time on the human side of things and getting to know the people that are you know that have some people in the sales world still have pretty hard quotas and they're, they're struggling to meet those. They're hustling all the time. Others have a little bit more loose uh, approach where it's like, Hey, anything I can add on is a benefit and my company's happy about it. So now I can really dig into the details of who needs what, who needs my, you know, handholding in some cases or my direct supervision for lack of a better phrase and who needs my casual assistance Um, sometimes some of my partners have gotten to the point where they've heard me tell the story enough that they can close deals without me, which is fantastic because now I've outsourced my work to somebody who also benefits from, from sealing those deals. So that's really how I tried to tackle it. Once I broke those things into two pieces and really streamlined one side, it allows me to really dig in on the, on the human side and figure out how I can best serve each partner that I work with.
0: Than the average job of 50 years ago? What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly leaders need to be socially minded, data driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, I love that. And I love love your willingness to, to set up systems, scaffolding, to help others to find success so you can support them, but let them give them autonomy, let them kind of do their own thing. But then when necessary, you can, you give that, that one-on-one attention, um, the coaching, the mentoring, uh, the guidance, uh, the motivation even to, to help get people uh, across the line and to, to start to develop the successes that, that enhance their confidence, um, that increase their motivation and ultimately, obviously impacts their performance, but also your performance, the performance of your team. Um, that, that's fantastic. And that's something, you know, I think about back to the early days, but, you know, even as a teenager, um, when I was in in um, sports or even some of my first jobs, you know, the, the first kind of crummy teenage jobs that I had on through, you know, young adulthood, uh, I didn't have like a decent good job. Um, you know, until I was probably in my early 20s. Um, all the other ones were pretty crappy, but that's probably yeah. not unique to me. Right. Um, and so we, we all go through that process. The number of people that I can point to, you know, the number of managers or leaders that were willing to take the time to invest in me. Uh, to help and support me was a really small number. Uh, I can really only think of maybe one uh, during that period of time, but they were incredibly impactful. They helped me, they helped, uh, they helped me gain confidence in myself and in in my skills. And it's funny. It's a funny thing, confidence, because there's a lot of things that we can, that will undermine our confidence very, very quickly, Uh, especially when we're new at something, we're trying to develop skills. And so we mess up and if we don't have a support system there to help us, uh, we, 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 we lack the confidence and very quickly we could downward spiral to the point where we just don't, it's not any fun. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do something I'm not good at. And then you kind of, you either quit and go a different direction or you just kind of muddle through and you don't really feel like you're good at what you're doing. On the other hand, you know, you can take the same person, um, both the same person and, and the same kind of situation but with two different types of leaders that are working with them and the that person who has a setback a disappointment a frustration when they don't have the support they don't have a a good leader and even perhaps heaven forbid they have a leader that you know uses fear tactics or you know is shouting at them or getting upset at them because they made a mistake how that person's going to respond and how their confidence or lack thereof is going to impact how they move forward versus the same person, same situation. But now you have an understanding, compassionate, empathetic leader who wants to provide the scaffolding, the support and is willing to work with you. That that setback becomes a learning opportunity exactly. and it, it becomes a catapult into like a positive future where you're learning and growing and you realize, oh, I messed up, but that's okay. And now I'm going to get I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to get better. And thankfully, I had some of that in my early years that was able to set me on a positive trajectory and kind of sidestep and and ignore um, the the naysayers and the the negative yeah. ones. And I I think in adulthood it's the same thing. Um, we like as adults to pretend like we've got it all together and that we're you know we're we're good. But we have insecurities and we lack confidence in a lot of things and and we're struggling through our day to day, just like anyone else. And so we just, we need to surround ourselves with good people. And as leaders, we need to try to be that leader for the people around us uh, to support them. And when we do that, then amazingly that individualized attention not only helps the individual perform better but now it helps the entire team have a better more healthy dynamic it helps them all work to better better together and it just is a, a it makes you look great as a leader and and it's a it's a win 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 all the way around
1: yeah yeah i as you mentioned you know there is a direct crossover with my coaching experience into my sales coaching experience right i mean the, even the names are the same right so um, I have the ultimate embarrassing story several times in my racquetball career, and I, I don't know this for sure, but I have to assume that I have won more, I have lost more matches than I ever won, so in, in any time I have a beginner level player who comes into their first event, they're nervous, you know, they don't do well, they lose, I'm like, hey, let me, let's, let's sit down and talk, at the pro level, to one of my best friends, I ended up in Racquetball Magazine having lost 11-0, 11-0, 11-0. I never scored as a professional player in the top 40 in the world at that time. I lost to another professional player who was number 10, and I'm still here, right? It didn't, yes, it was embarrassing. Yes, I carried that around with me for a while, but the reality is it didn't change who I am. In fact, it probably made me stronger in that process, so don't think that this one loss that you had is a big deal. Trust me, I know the difference, right? And then same thing on the sales side. I mean, you know, if you're new at something, uh, I really, really encourage people to say the words, I don't know, but let me find out. The last thing you wanna do is make something up on the fly or give a yes answer and then go verify it. You absolutely have to be honest and upfront with people and say, hey, that's a great question. I'm gonna have to do a little research and get back to you. And that does a couple of things. That gets you off the hook for getting yelled at for giving a bad answer. It it shows integrity when you follow up. It shows integrity in the beginning by saying, being honest, I don't know, but let me find out. And then when you follow up, you're already establishing a pattern of, hey, this is somebody I can trust because they're not gonna let the details slip. They said they were gonna do something and then they did it. And even as small as that gesture is, there's lots of salespeople who give bad answers, make stuff up, don't follow up on things and, and hope people don't notice. And when you can stand out from the rest of your competitors by doing something as simple as being honest and showing some integrity, you're on your way to being a successful salesperson. The rest of the skills will fall into place. You'll learn the product or the service backwards and forwards, and that part will go away. No one will surprise you with questions anymore, but you will have established within your industry a reputation that is very, very valuable. And that's hard to do if you don't go about that in the right fashion.
0: Yeah, and you just shared the example from a sales perspective, but the same thing applies to other roles within organizations too. And my goodness, the number of times I've had that happen to me, where you're you you know you're, you're trying to get an answer to something, you're trying to navigate the bureaucracy, the system, you're trying to do what's best for your team and, and get answers. And it's so frustrating when people pretend they just make something up or they, they don't do their homework. They don't check it out. Um, and, and then they conveniently forget that they told you the wrong thing or, you know, they just, like you said, they hope that nobody notices. That happens all the time. Um, it, it happens far more often than it ever should in any organizational setting, in any team setting. Uh, and so it, you really do stand out. You set yourself apart when you have the personal integrity, And it's, it's a simple thing. Let me look into that. Let me get back to you. Super simple. Um, it, It takes the pressure off you though. Like I don't have to be, I don't have to know everything. I don't have to be the expert of everything. Nobody expects you to be the expert of everything. And in fact, if I'm asking a question to somebody and they jump immediately to a quick answer, you know, we have pretty honed BS meters. And typically, we can kind of sense like, oh, I think they are they don't really know what they're talking about. And then you spend the next five, 10 minutes trying to like, get them to admit they don't know what they're talking about. And it's frustrating. So um, you know, just, just admit like, yeah, let me look into that. People will appreciate it. They will trust you more. You will establish that reputation throughout the organization, throughout the industry, you know, with your colleagues and that, you know, ultimately that's going to be a win, um, for you. And it's going to be a win for your team.
1: Yeah. I, I did medical sales for about three years. And obviously when you're in the OR and a, and a surgeon is doing a, a, a total hip replacement, for example you either know or you don't there is no yeah i think so doc try that right there there's no such thing either you have a rock solid defensible yes this is the answer and i'm basically stating my life and that patient's life on it too or i don't know so let's find out those are the only two acceptable answers and so i again you know on top of my racquetball career i took some of that experience into my sales career and really tried to be diligent about not only for myself, because I am a huge advocate of leading, leading by example, but hammering that into other people as well. And, you know, there's people that think that the used car salesman approach is the way to go because they, they close some deals sometimes and they hit some quotas and things like that. But those people aren't around for long, right? I don't ever get into an industry thinking I'm going to do this for a couple of years and see what happens. I'm assuming it's going to be a long ride and I'm setting myself up for success from day one by building that reputation of honesty and integrity. And oh, by the way, my company has the best service and let me explain how this works for you, right? It almost becomes, as people say, you're selling yourself first because the product should be pretty much on par with your competitors, at least. If it was exponentially better and you were the only one that did it, that company doesn't need salespeople, right? They need order takers. If they need salespeople, they need people who go into the field, represent the company well, but represent themselves even better because that's you become the face of the company and that one-to-one relationship with the client in many cases is what seals the deal.
0: Yeah, yeah. Very well said, Darren. It has been a real pleasure talking with you. This has been a fascinating conversation. I notice we're about to the end of our time together. So I I do want to respect your time, let you get off to your busy day. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, and then give us the final word on the topic for today.
1: Uh, Yes, thank you. So I do appreciate the time. This has been fun. I hope we can do it again and maybe expand on some things a little more. Um, So I have... A LinkedIn profile that is for what I refer to as speaker me. Uh, I do some public speaking and consulting and things like that. And in poking fun at myself, I decided to call that business Darren Chatter. Uh, My friends will all tell you that I love to hear myself talk. So if you can't laugh at yourself, you shouldn't laugh at anyone else, right? So my website address is DarrenChatter.com and my LinkedIn profile is also Darren Chatter. And so those are the best two places to find me. Um I, I'm a voracious blogger, so I push information out through blogs on my LinkedIn profile all the time. And uh anything that I do that's a podcast or uh when I get the permission to do so, I will post a presentation or a talk that I've done on my website, things like that. Um I'm kicking around some different book ideas. I don't have anything um solidified just yet, um, uh, but I'm sure I will do that at some point because I've written some books in the past, mainly about racquetball. Um, So it's well within my wheelhouse to do so. I just haven't honed in on the exact target that I want to tackle just yet. But please reach out if there's just questions that somebody has. I love the interaction. I love the engagement. So please shoot me a question, whether it's through LinkedIn or through my website, and we can start some engagement. And if there's a desire to have some one-on-one coaching or have me as a guest speaker, let's talk. I'd love to do it.
0: Perfect. Thank you, Darren. It has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, to find out more about what Darren can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch